I am Citizen 44. This show is sponsored by Spartans Alliance. Close your eyes for a second. Visualize yourself financially in five years, ten years. Open them up again. Now, look around. Are you surrounded by the people, the education, and the inspiration to get you where you just imagined yourself? To ensure your path to success in this competitive world, you need to start now by taking action and surrounding yourself with excellence and achievement. Spartans Alliance will embrace you with the tools, the education, and the personal support that guarantees you a seven-figure income in a very short time frame. 88% of all new wealth generated in this economy today is created by the selling of a business. Spartans Alliance has been capturing that vast quantity of wealth over the last 25 years. Now you can too. Spartans Alliance is offering proprietary and unique strategies of buying and selling companies for a living using no money of your own. By joining our alliance of millionaires, you surround yourself with those people, tools, and inspiration that will secure your seven-figure income. Take action. Don't just visualize your future. Open your eyes to SpartansAlliance.com. today is don't you today's my sister's birthday what's her name carla happy birthday carla i am so sorry <laughs> i know i think it was tough for the september 11th babies especially the first four or five years every year was like a big anniversary and yeah where you know it dominated all the news and all this stuff it's almost two decades ago that oh that happened oh my god time just flies by got a new bike, right? Yeah, I got a new bike. This was kind of a big story for me this year. I wrote a song called I Like My Bike. And in the song, I have a verse where I go, don't steal my bike, leave mine alone. If you want a bike, go buy your own. Don't ever fuck with someone's ride, because if you do, you deserve to die. Senior citizen, firing squad, 22's no glasses at 100 yards. 
You steal my bike, you get no brakes, they'll take their time as long as it takes. Because I always pictured like the senior citizen firing squad, 100 yards, no glasses, 22s, you know, it'd take days. <laughs> Are you telling me you wrote that song before the bike before was Before the bike was stolen. How I just, long before? It's hard to say because my songs sometimes take a long time to arrive. So I had the idea for the senior citizen firing squad thing probably five or eight years ago. You know, maybe a few months before I came up with this song. It's mostly about how much I like my bike and how it's all nice. But the firing squad comes in when you open your door without looking because you're on your freaking phone or whatever. Don't steal it. And if I come to a stop sign, you have the right of way. Don't stop for me. It's very irritating as a biker when you're stopped at a stop sign and someone stops for you. There's no reason for them to stop for you. Drive, man, drive. I want to go behind you, not ahead of you. Especially I think since people are giving an extra courtesy. They're too polite, though. It's actually unsafe. If you have the right of way and a guy is stopped, he's clearly stopped at the stop sign, just like a car. You drive when they're stopped. I'm not going to lurch in front of you. I'm at a stop sign. That's my joke. If you're too polite, you deserve to die. Oh. <laughs> and you get the senior citizen firing squad. I had that song all written and planning on putting it on my next album project. And, uh, at the goose and I came out, my bike was gone. I was like, oh shit. You know, I parked my bike at the same spot for 10 plus years. I mean, hundreds of times and I don't lock it to anything. It's under an overhang on the side of the building so it doesn't get rained on if it's raining. And uh, it is basically a safe place to park it. Somebody was perhaps going to the gas station or was just stealing bikes in general, happened to see it and probably chucked it in a truck or whatever. Now, as it happened, I had been getting more into walking before that. I like to walk in the evenings, like that two hours around sunset. I walk around town, I walk to North Mountain Park, I walk to Lithia, I walk up in the hills. Being a Tai Chi balanced guy, I work on my posture and my breathing and my stepping and trying to see how physically ready I can be while I'm walking. And I also do this little game with myself where I try to hide how ready I am physically. Because if you're walking around sort of ready physically, it looks a little aggressive. Because to be really ready physically, you have to have your power chain segments hooked up. Your legs, your core, and your upper body. And when those three are connected, it looks aggressive because it's kind of ready to be aggressive. So when I walk through town, I don't want to intimidate some timid person or just make someone go, ooh, this is some sketchy homeless dude. So I try to be casual. I disconnect the arms and the chest a little bit. My legs and core are still connected. I just get a little more casual. I walk a little slower, just a little more like I'm dancing almost. And then I would go back to upright. I got used to that. So when the bike got stolen, I just walked more and I thought to myself, well, I'll give it a week, maybe two, to give him a chance to catch the guy, which they did not. So finally I was like, well, I guess I got to get a new bike. And then one day I look in the mailbox and there's a card in there. I almost threw it out. You know how you get a card every once in a while that has a typeface on the address that looks like handwriting, but it's not handwriting. It's yeah. just to get you to open spam. I was going to show my friend, look at this, they're just spamming me. And I opened it up and I'm like, wait a second. And it was a little card and the card had a road with a bend in the road and it said, no worries, next eighth of a mile or something like that. And I opened it up and there was a nice little letter and a check for $1,000. An anonymous donor sent me a check to buy a new bike. I was just floored. Took pictures of it and threw it up on Facebook and... John Darling from The Tidings saw it and he ended up putting it on the front page of the paper. I posted this stuff on Facebook and that one gift created so much more goodwill than the bad will that the thief had created. When I posted that it was stolen, I got my usual 20 or 30, oh man, thieves are suck and I make my senior citizen firing squad joke. 
But when this came along, I got hundreds of likes and support. Some this made my day. It's so nice to read some good news for a change and faith in humanity restored and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I got a thousand bucks and I went out and bought a good bike and I got disc brakes for the first time ever. And the bike is cool. The cables go inside the frame so the cables aren't dangling around the whole bike. And I put a new seat on it and got my $30 brass bell. <laughs> you got to get one with a nice tone, you know, because right, you don't want to alarm people. You want to go. I put a rack on it and put a milk crate on it. And I happen to have a black milk crate and the bike was black. So it's the Ninja Mobile. I'm like a ghost out there. So I got a new bike and uh, all's well that ends well, as we say here in Shakespeare land. So it really is Gene Burnett 2.0. You have a new bike and this is your second show. Right. Second bike, second, second, second show. Second bike, second show. And the song will be on my next uh, album project. I should have hard copies in the next week or two and I should be able to get it up on my website within a month. I like to do an album every year. People know me for writing a lot of songs, and the reason I think I write a lot of songs, I, I've always been a bit prolific, but around 2007, I let go of this idea that I was one person and that I was projecting myself out there as one consistent identity, Gene Burnett. I was always struggling to reconcile slash suppress or squeeze into the tent parts of me that didn't jive with my current conception of myself. So if you think of yourself as somewhat spiritual or enlightened or something, you might not like the part of you that likes to smoke weed or the part of you that likes to swear or the part of you that likes to eat cows or whatever. And you have to deal with those parts. And my songs as a group were almost like I was creating a personals ad for a dating site. I wanted all my songs to express this one coherent guy that I was. And somewhere along the line, I just let go of that notion. And I started considering my inner brain like a parliament. And all these ministers or all these voices were sitting around in the parliament. And they didn't agree with each other necessarily, but I had this great intuition to give them their voice. I started letting them have the wheel, as it were, have the mic to sing from their point of view, even if it contradicted another point of view. And I saw myself as less the guy singing and writing necessarily. I'm just sort of presiding. And I found that the more I listened to these voices and the more expression I gave them, just expression, not necessarily action. I'm not going to actually go shoot someone who's a bike thief, but express the feeling of wanting to do that. I found that they calmed down and they became less powerful and less interested in taking over the government. Carl Jung has this great quote that I love. He says, Whatever parts of myself I don't accept unconditionally, split off, become darker and more powerful. You have a part of yourself that's always looking after you, like what's in it for me? If you're walking behind someone and a $20 bill falls out of their pocket on the street, part of you, part of me anyway, is like, snag that 20. What's in it for you? Another part of me is always looking for what's good for the common good. What's the best thing all around? Another part of me is always looking for what kind of difference can I make? Another part of me wants to get high all the time. Another part of me wants to work all the time. Another part of me wants to be famous. Another part of me does not. I have all these voices and I realize that, at least for me, these voices, what they really want is to be heard. They really want to be heard and listened to because every one of those voices is looking out for me. 
They just have a narrow point of view for one aspect of me. Here's my stoner theory. For thousands of years, before there were cities, before there was civilization, before there was any of that, we lived in little villages. They reckon about two, three hundred people. If you were going to be famous, two hundred, three hundred people know you. I feel like these little villages, whenever you see an indigenous village chief, the chief is always surrounded by the council advisors. There's the military advisor, and there's the food advisor, and there's the hunting advisor. And I just had this crazy idea that I bet the number of voices and the kind of voices that we have in our heads, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's roughly a set number of those. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if the number of voices we have in our head is roughly the same as the number of people in a typical tribal council, which is, I'm guessing, around a dozen, like Jesus and the disciples. More than a dozen, it gets a little hard to hear. A group of advisors, and you make decisions together, and biologically, we somehow incorporated that counsel in our head in case we're separated from the group so that we can make a wise decision. So someone says, run through the forest as fast as you can, you'll get to something. Another says, wait a minute, calm down, follow the water, water goes downstream, that'll lead to the river. Another group says, you better get some food, you better hunt something now because it might be out here for a while, and you better build shelter. All the voices come in, and then you hear them all, and then you make a decision. When the ministers are heard, even if the chief doesn't agree with them in the final decision, at least they feel heard and they're likely to stick around. They are welcomed under the hut, so to speak. So I did that with myself, treated them like an inner village council in my head, gave them their songs, and they went nuts. They all wanted to sing. So I have all these songs that contradict each other. So I began to see myself as a collection of these parts. And I wanted to gently preside over them rather than strangle them into a, a set mold that looked good for me. And then I started seeing other people that way. When I look at another person, I look at them and I realize they are presiding over a parliament. There's all kinds of voices in there. And then it really hit me. And this is a big one for me was that people are more than any one of their parts, especially their political part or their identity part. So when I see somebody, I try to connect with people in the areas that we have in common, things that we like together. If I identify you, Mark, as a white male, as a Jew, as a progressive, as a liberal, as a quasi-bald guy, as a short guy, if I identify you as one of those aspects or parts of you, and then I attack that, true or not, if I attack that one part of you, it invites you to narrow up and defend yourself as that part. You'll narrow yourself and you'll identify yourself in that narrow way and then we'll be arguing at this narrow sliver of our identities. Meanwhile, we both like baseball, we both have kids, we both like music, we both like the blues, we play guitar, you play harp. I don't like baseball. <laughs>
balance is a big important part of my life and the way music is right now there's so many people making it there's so many people making music so many albums i mean there's probably 300 self-produced albums in ashland right now maybe hundreds maybe more and to expect people to listen to all this stuff is asking a lot most people filter out for just absolutely awesome and so i realized well people aren't necessarily going to be following me when i sing if I'm playing at a bar or if I'm playing at a market or even if I'm playing at a concert, people have their own thoughts. I go to a play or something and the second the intermission starts, every kid in the room, their phones light up and they're right back to playing some game or something. No breathing, no processing. People's minds are all over the place. Even if you're at a concert and someone's looking right at you and you're singing a song, they may be thinking about tomorrow's lunch menu or, or something someone said to them that day. So I don't expect to be followed someone to hear me sing, follow what I'm saying, and be touched or moved by it and let me know. That's like winning the lottery. But they can get the general me, they can hear me, they can kind of get me, and they can even appreciate it in a general way without following what I'm actually saying, without following the song. So they could hear a couple songs and not be able to tell you what the songs are about, but they get me in a certain way. Something is getting through. I wrote a song called Fuck the Sun, and this woman writes on YouTube, oh, I searched Fuck the Sun on YouTube. I just wanted to find someone that would express the feelings I had about summer. Perfect song, perfect voice, perfect melody. Thank you so much. I sleep mostly when it's light. The day's okay, I love the night. Everything just feels so right. Fuck the sun. Gives you cancer, there's no doubt Turns a flood into a drought Burns my skin and dries me out Fuck the sun Okay, maybe dusk and dawn But in between, color me gone I wait till dark to mow the lawn Fuck the sun I wrote the song because I was late to the 4th of July parade one time I usually sit at the top of the stairs at the new library. It's a nice commanding view and everything, but it's really hot. And by the end of the parade, man, you feel like a fried egg. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I'm preferring green to gold. Apollo, I'll put him on hold. Fuck the sun. Give me shadows, give me shades, give me trees and lemonade. Let's just stay inside today and fuck the sun. Okay, maybe spring and fall, but in between I hit that wall. Melts me like a big snowball. Fuck the sun. I went to the Carnegie Library instead. It's now the kids' library. Set back in the shade a little bit more. I'm sitting on the stairs there, and after about an hour and a half of parade going by, I realize I feel great. This is awesome. Hurts my eyes and hurts my head. Makes me wish that I was dead. I just want to stay in bed and fuck the sun. Makes me weak and dizzy too. Too hot to think, too hot to screw. Wake me when this shit is through. Fuck the sun. I sleep mostly when it's light. Day's okay, I love the night. Dracula and I are tight. Fuck the sun. Fuck the sun.
I look up and I realize, oh shit, I'm in the shade here. I'm not getting fried out. And then I looked around the stairs. Everybody on the stairs was older than me. And I was like, yeah, you old fuckers have figured this out. It was just the song that somebody wanted to hear, and they sent me a sincere comment. So that was a lottery win. Someone heard it, got it, and thanked me. I make a lot of videos, I make a lot of songs, and I just play them with everything I have. And a lot of them have no witnesses at all. I might get five or six plays on YouTube, and when I play them at the Goose or wherever, it just goes over people's heads. Those are called losing lottery tickets in a sense. But when I'm playing it, I play as though I'm playing at Carnegie Hall and 20,000 people are watching. I play it all out because in between is so painful while you're internally debating, should you be doing this anymore? Is it time to quit? I've done that, playing a gig and in my head, I'm debating with myself, should I quit the music business entirely while I'm singing? So since I started doing it this way, it's a lot more fun because I'm always playing to a packed house in my head, playing to people that are really into it. The other night I was playing at the Goose. We were getting ready for Woody Guthrie birthday bash night. So I was working on one of Woody's songs that he wrote back in 35 or 6. It was called Deportee. They were deporting these Mexican farm workers back to Mexico after the harvest conveniently. And the plane crashed and everybody on the plane died. In the paper, they were just referred to as deportees. No names, none of that. So Woody wrote the song and the chorus is, goodbye to my Juan, goodbye Rosalita, adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria, you won't have a name when you ride the big airplane and all they will call you will be deportees. The typical version of the song is almost like a waltz. I just wanted to stretch it out and let the lyrics resonate a little more. I like to do that sometimes. So I go to the Goose and it was noisy. People in and out of listening. Some of my friends listening, some not. It was a noisy night. There was a pool tournament going on or something. So I get up there and I'm playing. Dave Hampton's playing on guitar and I close my eyes because I don't like to watch people not listening. And I zoned out and focused on the song and played it the best I could. And I got to the end of the song and there was a lot of applause. I realized there were 40% of the people making a lot of noise, but that other 60 was totally with me. Now, if I had looked up earlier and I had noticed that they were listening, then I would relate to them more as a crowd. I would engage them a little bit and recognize, you and me are interested in this song. Isn't this cool? make a lot of Tai Chi videos, helpful hints. It's not about specific forms and moves. It's about general qualities and postural things. I can tell you right now, if you're just standing, notice if you stand with your knees locked. It's very common to stand with hyperextended knees. So your knees are locked backwards and your pelvis is immobilized and it gives you a false sense of security. So often in my videos in one form or another tell you to sit into your hips, bend your knees slightly, so instead of knees back, pelvis forward, it's the other way around, knees forward, pelvis back a little bit. Just that one thing puts your body weight into your thighs where it belongs and maybe a little work at first, but your legs get used to it and they start doing what they're adapted to do, which is to support you in being mobile. I like to be helpful. You know, I've made hundreds of videos about various aspects of Tai Chi practice that most of them can be applied to daily life too. 
They're not always about specific moves and exercises. Tai Chi is all about balance, and I'm just trying to help with that. A while back, they took away my ability to monetize my YouTube videos because I wasn't a big enough channel. You have to have 2,000 subscribers, which I had, but you had to have, I forget how many thousands of hours of viewing over the last period of time. And I had always had mixed feelings about those ads anyway. I just didn't like them. And certain of my songs, like Jump You Fucker song, which is kind of a political song, I refuse to monetize that particular song. Jump You Fuckers, brought to you by Google. <laughs> no. But I always had mixed feelings about them because they interfere with the viewer's experience. But I made like a couple hundred dollars a year. And to be honest, that helped. I'm in the business of selling work. You don't get rich selling work. <laughs> it's not the money thing. I've never been really good at the money thing. But what I enjoy most about living is the connection. Bringing what's inside outside, that itself is a pleasure. And then when what's outside connects to your outside and goes to your inside, you know what it feels like. You and I have played music together and sometimes we're both just really digging this tune and it could be a tune that we're covering or it could be one of my tunes and it's not like you and me are digging me. We're digging my song. We're digging each other. I almost want to just say the song because in the moment it's not an ego thing. It's not like, ooh me, I'm better than other singer-songwriters. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm over all that shit. To me, it's the song. When I write a song, I'm as excited about it as anyone else. I'm like, look at this thing that popped in my head. People take credit for their songs, but where did that idea come from? It popped into your head. You don't know where it came from. You could call it spirit or whatever. It pops in your head. I've got a song on my new album that's coming out. One of my little bonus tracks at the end. It's not really a typical song. It's just a little heady folk song, but it goes, the pen was in my hand, but I didn't write it. When beauty comes to land, I don't want to fight it. So I didn't fight it. I did what a writer does. I was there when it was written and no one else was. The only thing I feel like I can take credit for in some way is what I consistently aim for. The execution and the specific targeting and all that stuff, there's so much that I can't control. But what I aim for is under my control. So I'm a guy who's aiming for unforced balance. And I consistently aim for that right feeling inside me, that feeling that says yes, that balanced, unforced feeling that I'm not making happen. It's sort of a Taoist ideal. That's what I'm aiming for consistently over time. I'm not trying to be good. I'm not trying to be a saint. I'm not trying to be a bad boy. I'm not trying to be anything but myself in the most balanced, inclusive kind of way. One of my good friends when I was growing up was a guy named Gary Kroger, who was a boarder in our house. We had this big Victorian house and had a lot of rooms, and my mom would rent rooms out. When my brother was in school, he had a good friend, Gary, and Gary ended up being one of our boarders. So I got to know him pretty well, and he was the guy that came up to my room and told me that John Lennon had been shot. Gary ended up in the cast of Saturday Night Live. It was a hit and miss time when he was there. There was some great stuff. He's a good guy. He ran for Congress in Iowa. Great guy. So Gary was on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was the weatherman. Oh yeah, he's the guy who was changing the predictions so he could have the course to himself yes. and Larry busted his ass exactly. in the end. Exactly, well, Larry just told Gary, be a weather guy and give these forecasts and the rest was all Gary. He got to do whatever he wanted to do and so he did he that memorable part. He just described life. 
Yeah, but we get to be here in this capacity with a certain level of control and choice making. Right. But the rest we have to navigate right, yeah. as cool as we can. That's why surfing is such a great metaphor, because no surfer owns the wave, you know, and owns the sea. They have great respect for the ocean or they're drowned. That's the way you should feel about your own body. You think your body's in control when you're young, but as you get old, as Philip Roth says, your consciousness is living in a dying animal, and it's not under your control, and it's going to go away. Whether your consciousness continues, nobody knows for sure, but certainly this particular configuration is not permanent. If you are willing to accept a certain amount of discomfort and pain in the present, that can lead to a greater pleasure than the immediate pleasure of turning away from that discomfort. You have to endure something a little bit uncomfortable if you want to get to a deeper level with anything. Anything at all that you want stronger in your life or to go more deep in your life. Most of the time, you can get there the fastest and the most thoroughly by putting pressure on that thing. Not a lot. You want to put enough pressure on it that the weaknesses are exposed and you can strengthen them. Not so much that they break you. If you want to test a bridge as strength, you don't put a million pounds on that bridge, it's just going to collapse. But you add weight slowly until you have enough pressure on the bridge that the weaknesses appear. With the body, it's the same kind of thing. If you want to test your balance on one leg, you don't just immediately do it on the corner of a skyscraper. You do it on the ground, maybe even with a counter next to you to be able to grab onto or a chair. This is something I miss completely as a kid because I grew up in the 70s and my parents split up and I didn't have a lot of masculine values. The whole time was anti-authority. The whole time was anti-anything that had anything to do with work or discomfort or the rules. I just thought pressure was bad. I was also insecure and shaky. So I was only too happy to jump off the pressure thing because I was scared the pressure would break me and I would get ridiculed or shamed for it. So it took me a long time to discover that it's not pressure that's bad. What's bad is too little or too much. You gotta have the right amount. And I think this is a key component of parenting to put enough pressure on your kids that their weaknesses show up, but not so much that they break that they show up and can be strengthened. And this is one of the things that's so great about sports. Regardless of whether your kid grows up to be a sports person or goes to college on a sports scholarship or excels, just the playing of the sport itself is about improving your skills. And so you put them under pressure. You're in the game, not just doing a drill. And if there's a weakness in your game, like you keep getting out dribbled in soccer or you keep getting aced in a certain way, your coach hopefully comes in and like a gardener putting a stake next to a plant says, here's how you do that, and shows you how to do it, and then pulls the stake away, and now you learn to do it on your own. So you learn that the pressure is not bad. The pressure is your friend. It tells you what you can improve, and then someone's there to help you improve, and you improve and you get stronger, as opposed to just rejecting the whole idea of pressure. All pressure is the man. All pressure is fascism. No pressure is just as bad as too much. You want to find that sweet zone, and that's what I do with myself and with my teaching, is to find a level of pressure that I can tolerate, but can show me my weaknesses and where I can be a little stronger. It's like playing guitar in your bathroom, playing guitar for a couple friends, playing guitar at a party, going to an open mic, getting a gig at that place, getting more gigs at that place, playing lots of gigs at places like that, going up to the next level, doing a concert, 
All these things are more pressure, but the song could be the same basic song that you played in the bathroom. The first time I played at an open mic, my hands were shaking, quivering, and I didn't actually feel that scared. So I went to that open mic at this one pizza place every Sunday night for a year, and at the end of that year, way back in the 70s in Evanston, Illinois, being on stage and off stage was the same. It was just like walking up to a new environment. Whenever I step it up, play the Green Show, or once in a blue moon, I get a nice gig. And when I do one of those, yeah, I'm a little more nervous because it's not familiar. This is a little more pressure. But if I had to suddenly go from, say, the Green Show, and my next gig was playing on the beach at Buenos Aires for 1.2 million people, I'd do my best. <laughs> but that's a huge step up. I'm sure I would be a little nervous. And if I got through it, I would be stronger. If you want something stronger and deeper, just put a little pressure on it. You know those guys that jump off the buildings in the squirrel suits? Have you ever seen these things? It's no. Like a, oh, you haven't seen this? No. They jump off cliffs and stuff. You mean like the flying squirrel suits? Yeah, yeah, squirrel suit. And they're literally flying squirrel suits? Picture like a little paraglider wing, except it's just one person glued in there. And then when they get to a certain height, they pull an emergency chute and they pop out. But meanwhile, they're zooming through the Alps and going between buildings. It's unbelievable. I heard this from a reliable source and I have no reason to doubt it, but what I've heard is that all the pioneers of that... They're all gone. All, yeah. <laughs> all of them. We're not flying It's squirrels. hard enough when you're a genius innovator. It's hard enough when you practice like crazy. But imagine going into the challenges of life without that, without any balance training, without right. ever having pressured yourself. Honestly, I think we're giving up our evolutionary heritage. I look around, I see a lot of weak, soft people who cannot stop staring at the phone. Like a day without their phone, let alone under some real pressure. So I'm wondering, like, what's going to happen when the shit hits the fan? It has not hit, and there's plenty of shit, and that fan is blowing. I want to be ready, and that's no guarantee. I could get wiped out in the first bad thing that happens. It's a big wave. So. I'd like the wave to come while I'm sleeping, please. Thank you. <laughs> If you want to do the old person in your future a solid favor, start working on your balance now. You can take yoga and you can take Tai Chi and you can make balance a central practice in your life. That's great. That's what I do. But you don't have to do that at all. Just stand on one leg and see how long you can do it. You can cross your hands in front of your chest. You can start by lifting your heel of the other leg then pick your toe up without contorting or taking some crazy posture. Just see how long you can stand on one leg. Time it. And then the next time you do it, see if you can beat it by five or 10 seconds. Do it on the other leg. One leg's always resting. The other one always takes your weight. If that feels good, try with your eyes closed. That makes it millions of times harder. The point is to establish some kind of physical balance practice. Just a simple thing. This is a way to experience change very intimately. Because when you're on one leg, things are constantly changing. Because in order for our bodies to be the amazing, adaptable creatures that we are, to inhabit every climate on Earth, to be able to surf, swim, jump, dive, hang, swing, do gymnastics, all these things, we need a certain amount of play in our bodies. As fast as a cheetah is, you could never teach a cheetah to do the uneven parallel bars or play football. Because of that, we have this play in our bodies. And that play means that we're also inherently less stable. This is why balance is really more of a verb than a noun. It's balancing. Also, you could say to yourself, you're feeling gravity go through your body and into the ground. You're feeling one of the prime forces of the universe pressing directly on your skin and your nervous system. It is literally touching you. 
You can get all abstract about it if you want to, if that's your nature. I have parts of me that are very into that. But another part of me is just like, do the old geezer in your future a favor. Just get used to standing on one leg so that your proprioception and your balance and your coordination is strengthened so that when you get older and you'll lose, say, 30 or 40% of that maybe, that the 60 is still plenty because you've been increasing it all this time. If your balance is shit and then you lose 40 of it, good luck. That's one of the reasons I work on balance, aside from all that groovy cosmic stuff, is just to do the old guy, older guy in my future a favor so I don't fall over. I just turned 62, and I'm in a strength building phase in my own training, like I'm doing push-ups and pull-ups and strength building things, and I feel like I might have maybe seven years in front of me where I can get stronger. But there's going to be a point I'm suspecting as I'm in my late 60s, early 70s, where I'm gonna feel like I can't build strength anymore. I'm not gonna get stronger. I just have to maintain what I've got. And then there'll be a period a little bit later where I'm not able to maintain what I've got. What I wanna do is I wanna slow this decline as much as I can. My mom likes to say the 60s are the youth of old age. 70s are the middle age of old age. The 80s, you're just old. <laughs> Hopefully in those 80s, I will be able to slow the decline enough that I can exit in the least painful way possible. That would be nice. We have no guarantees, of course. I recently did a video on YouTube where I talked about shaking many practices into one. My practice muse goes, I'm really into walking, and oh, I'm really into doing the bike park loop, ride the bike around the park up to the reservoir and back, or I'm really into bodyweight exercises. Oh, these kettlebells are great. Or, oh, Tai Chi forms done a certain way is really great. Or this kind of practice of that. And every time I start doing one of these, I think, make this a routine. You got to do this every day. Don't stop doing this. This is what we're going to do forever. And another part of me is like, yeah, that's nice. And we should do it for a while. But what happens when the muse changes? Or what happens when you sprain your ankle? Or what happens when you can't do that anymore? You got to be willing to move on and go to where the practice muse wants you to go next. Yeah, but how do I do that and not feel inconsistent? And I say to myself, you can see all these practices as one practice and you can make it kind of abstract. My practice is to be one with everything or my practice is to be totally balanced. That's nice for the abstract part of my brain, but I want something more concrete. So my practice is to shepherd gravity through my body from my head to my feet into the ground and as i issue energy and receive energy and do different things in my life i want to deal with gravity effectively efficiently and without injury so in order to do those three things and without injury is probably the key one in order to be effective in order to be efficient and in order to be injury free I have to pay attention to the way the world operates. I have to pay attention to the way my body operates. I have to be in touch with the primal principles of nature, which is balancing the hard and soft, the yin and yang. If I'm not doing that, I'm going to be inefficient. If I'm not doing that, I'm going to be ineffective. And if I'm not doing that, most importantly, I'm going to get injured. I take gravity through my body with those goals. And then I realize, okay, I do that while I'm doing push-ups. I do that while I'm walking. I do that while I'm biking. I do that if I swing the kettlebell. I do that in all my Tai Chi forms. I do that when I'm singing. I do that when I'm sitting at my computer. I'm doing it right now. So when I see it that way, it's just one practice. Well, like your music, I hope that we're dropping a subconscious seed and that somebody hears something that triggers, clicks, whatever it is, and it empowers them to consider something they hadn't considered before and physically do something. Right. Well, thanks, Gene. 
I love hearing you and you bring a lot of value to the microphone. You're welcome. I like my bike It's lots of fun I ride it through The rain and sun I say hello To everyone I like my bike It's lots of fun Don't steal my bike Leave mine alone if you want to buy, go buy your own Don't ever fuck with someone's ride Cause if you do, you deserve to die Senior citizen, firing squad 22's no glasses at a hundred yards Steal my bike, you get no brakes. They'll take their time as long as it takes. I feel the wind, I feel the air. I ride my bike most everywhere. It's not too fast, but I don't care. I like the wind, I like the air, I surely hope you look before you kill me with your open door, get off your phone, open your eyes, cause if you don't, you deserve to die. Senior citizen, firing squad 22's no glasses at a hundred yards You wrecked my bike, you get no brakes They'll take their time, as long as it takes I keep my bike in good repair Whatever it costs, I do not care Cheaper than a car or a taxi fare I keep my bike in good repair If I'm stopped at a stop sign And the right of way is yours, not mine don't stop for me, just drive on by Cause if you stop, you deserve to die Senior citizen, firing squad 22's no glasses at a hundred yards You're too polite, you get no brave They'll take their time as long as it takes. I like my bike, 
It's lots of fun Good for my heart It's good for my lungs I say hello to everyone I like my bike It's lots of fun I like my bike It's lots of fun Hey, Lucky Dog. Hi, Mark. Did you just get into town? Night before last. And what are you doing here? I'm here for three reasons. I'm here to install an air conditioning system in a building as part of trade for recording time. And I'm here to record with Sylvia Massey. And hopefully we'll also finish editing the White Pants video that we filmed last July. White Pants. It's a funny song. Yeah. How's it go? White Pants. Is that chocolate or poop? White Pants. Is that paint or blood? White Pants. Is that grass or snot? White Pants. Is that lemonade or pee? Did you prank call when you were a kid? Oh, yes. I remember two of them. My friends and I would play a record, a little 45, and then... We'd call someone and we'd say, this is K-W something something, and this is Guess That Tune, and we play the song for about five seconds, and then we say, what is the name of that song? And if they got it right, we say, you win two free tickets to the Ice Capades. Yay! <laughs> Hang up! <laughs> and if they got it wrong, nope, that wasn't it. Hang up. <laughs> wow. We were much meaner. We'd call a random number, and i go, Hi, Mommy, can you pick me up from the movies? I'm sorry, I'm not your mother. Why are you doing that? I'm at the movies and I want to come home. And we would make people feel really horrible. (laughs) Did you listen to comedy albums growing up? Yes, my parents didn't have them, but somehow I heard Bill Cosby. That was the big, big one in the 60s. There's a picture of him on a little cart rolling down a hill on the Mm -hmm. cover, and it had something about chicken heart spreading jello on the floor so it would be slippery so the chicken heart couldn't get him. And I think that was something else later on in life for him. (laughs) I remember as a teenager, maybe I was 14 or so, I bought the George Carlin album that had the seven words you can't see on TV. Piss, shit, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. That's it! Good one. (laughs) Were you into Steve Martin? Steve Martin, for sure. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, yeah. yeah. You have a new online EP or something that's got 30,000 oh, yeah, somethings yeah. or what? September 15th this year, I released a nine-song album. Songs I found on a cassette in my mom's house in a box that I found in a closet that I had recorded in the 90s but kind of forgot about and I listened to them on this little Walkman that I still had, and they were fantastic. So I had a mastering guy digitize them, master them, and put them out. Is that the <laughs> shit that you're putting up there that's getting like 30,000 yeah. plays? Yeah, it's on all the digital platforms through CD Baby. They're my distributor. It's taken me more than eight years to start to figure out internet marketing and promotion. Right now, that album has about 32,000 streams since September. And the album I released last April, Humongous Fungus, has almost 50,000. 
So I got a $100 royalty payment in June. I got another one in September. So this $100 I spend per month is coming back to me, but it's not yet break even. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that you're receiving monies for some of the work that I did with you? Yes. Oh, really? So no. what are we having for dinner tonight? I... Where are you taking me for dinner? <laughs> but the Born in the 90s CD, that's the name of the CD that I put out in September because it was cassettes that were all made in the 90s. Yeah. Who designed that album cover? The Born in the 90s? Yeah. You did. Oh, right. Who took that photograph? <laughs> you oh, did. right. Okay. No, I'm just checking. I want to see if I'm not part of anything still, that I have nothing to do with any of that shite. The Humongous Fungus album, released in April, was a rebranding of 18 of the Naked in Public and Lucky Doug and the Stinkbug songs. And the exact same recordings with new data, so that as they're played, they're tracked as a new release under the brand named Lucky Doug Fergus. Lucky Doug and the Stinkbugs still makes money on Pandora as a children's project. It's interesting that it has routinely about a thousand listeners a month. It's fascinating watching it happen with each year that I continue doing this instead of quitting. That's really all it comes down to is just keep doing it. Have you played live at all recently? In the last year, I've played about four times live. I just play solo and just play a set of 12 songs or so. And it's always at a bookstore or coffee house kind of a gig. And I love doing it. Do you know who you're on the show with today? Daryl Hall. Uh, no. Monty Hall. Not. Still. No. Guess again. Rich. No. Randy Bachman. It's somebody you know in town who's a musician. Jeff Stanley. No. This is 2.0. This is his second show. Gene Burnett. That is correct. Oh. Yeah, Gene. Show number wow. 77. Gene, Gene, the songwriting machine. Yeah, you know we're on show number 77. Holy cow. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Number 77 is in the can, as they say. It was really great to talk to Gene. He's such a great guy. That information about getting on in years and taking care of your body is near and dear to me because my mother's mobility is pretty much gone and she's fallen quite a few times. And I know that's probably the most fearful part of her existence right now. Take care of your body now and it will take care of you later. I also want to thank Lucky Doug Fergus for coming on the show. LuckyDoug.com Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. I love making the show. It's a lot of fun. I get to talk to really interesting people, many of them my friends, who I've learned so much more about. And there's a lot more shows coming up. Next, we have self-made millionaire Bart Rupert. He is the sponsor of this show this week for Spartans Alliance. Next show in about a week. Bart Rupert. From rags to literal riches. If you want to listen to or download all of the shows, you can go to CastBox, where I'd love for you to become a subscriber, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can also go to citizen44.com and uh, get caught up. It's been a really interesting week. My daughter's always been at OSU now for, I don't know, three weeks. 
She's really having a good time, enjoying her classes, enjoying her professors, enjoying her autonomy, her freedom. Sam just returned. He's back from his adventure. He's going through his 15-year-old boy trials and tribulations. I'm excited to see who they become. I'm back living with Rich. He's back producing, so there should be some new interesting guests coming up. We're going to get Rich hopefully on the next show. And that's it. All is good. My life's brilliant, and I could not ask for anything more. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about Gene Burnett, go to geneburnett.com. That's G-E-N-E-B-U-R-N-E-T-T.com. This show is sponsored by Spartans Alliance. SpartansAlliance.com. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. Yes. I am Citizen 44. Close your eyes for a second. Visualize yourself financially in five years, ten years. Open them up again. Now, look around. Are you surrounded by the people, the education, and the inspiration to get you where you just imagined yourself? To ensure your path to success in this competitive world, you need to start now by taking action and surrounding yourself with excellence and achievement. Spartans Alliance will embrace you with the tools, the education, and the personal support that guarantees you a seven-figure income in a very short time frame. 88% of all new wealth generated in this economy today is created by the selling of a business. Spartans Alliance has been capturing that vast quantity of wealth over the last 25 years. Now you can too. Spartans Alliance is offering proprietary and unique strategies of buying and selling companies for a living using no money of your own. By joining our Alliance of Millionaires, you surround yourself with those people, tools, and inspiration that will secure your seven-figure income. Take action. Don't just visualize your future. Open your eyes to SpartansAlliance.com.